Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for joining. It's me, John Cross, from the Daily Mirror and Matt Dunn, my colleague from the um, Daily Express this morning. And... um, Pleased to be with you. Lots to reflect upon, Matt, over the um, festive period and then looking forward to the FA Cup third round weekend, which I'm sure you know by now, I love the FA Cup and I think third round at a weekend is normally, yeah, is normally very special. But is it is it that special this weekend? We'll be having a sort of kind of look and sort of debate and discussion about that, really. Premier League title race, where do, where do we... Where do we stand? Who are the big winners and losers? I think that's fairly obvious, actually, over Christmas and New Year. But have they got people to put it right? What went wrong for Wayne Rooney at Birmingham? And look at perhaps a few of the um, uh, news stories around, sort of kind of lots of talk about FFP and the implications potentially for Forrest and uh, Everton. Um, So lots to talk about. Let's... Start, Matt, shall we, with with the Premier League um, so far. I think you and I were both at the Arsenal games back-to-back with uh, West Ham and Fulham where it went miserably wrong for, for, for the Gunners, didn't it, really? And it went completely right for Liverpool. Well, if titles are won and lost over Christmas and New Year, as they always seem to be at Easter as well, by the way, um, uh, it, it, Arsenal did really badly and Liverpool did really well, didn't they? Yeah, it sort of hinged at that game at Anfield. It looked like a really encouraging point for, for Arsenal on the 17th, I think we're counting as the, the start of the festive fish, fixtures back back then. Um, and, and Arsenal looked set to, to build on that and cement their place as genuine title contenders. And then, as you say, it completely unraveled. There were two very tepid performances. Um, I was at both of them. Uh, and they weren't very Arsenal. Uh, that was, or certainly not very, what the modern Arsenal has become. Uh, and that possibly is a build-up of the fact that he has been uh, using the same players week in, week out. Uh, he's not won much for for much rotation um, of all the, the leading managers. He can pretty much predict his team every week, um, and, uh, and and that's perhaps limiting. And, and players do get tired, and it, and it's that sort of period perhaps when they can see the finishing line of a winter break, that they begin to relax into it and they just weren't on it. And that added to the fact that they were two superb performances from West Ham and Fulham um, that, that basically uh, 
played right into their tactics um, and, uh, and and squeezed them, you know, and counterattacked fast on them uh, as a sort of a, as a game plan. Uh, and they played it very effectively with two very astute managers, you know, pulling the, the strings. So, uh, yeah, they, they basically hit the buffers. And, uh, and from now on, they've got to pick themselves up as soon as this winter break's over um, if they're going to stand a chance of hanging on to the coattails of Liverpool, City and anyone else who wants to make a, a chase for it. Yeah, it was quite an interesting um, exchange that I had with a, a, a died-in-the-wall Arsenal pal of mine actually, I think it was on New Year's Eve, who, who was fuming, obviously, about the two results. But did sort of say, look, it raised an interesting debating point for me was that basically he thought that Arteta has now become a, a, a manager that opponents, opposing fans, opposing teams, opposing managers really want to beat. Has he become that target? And I'm thinking of maybe sort of, you know, he's... he's He's sort of kind of outspoken, isn't he? He's sort of kind of, you know, very active on the touchline, sort of the fans get into him uh, uh, and so on. I, I guess we always used to have this a little bit with with Fergie, didn't we? And kind of, you know, you'd have that and sort of the, you know, I'm not sure it's ever been quite the case with um, Jurgen Klopp, but Pep Guardiola is constantly going on about how our opposing teams always want to beat him and always want to beat Manchester City. They're the team to be shot out. Has Arteta sort of kind of reached that reached that status, do you think? Not for the same reasons. I mean, people want to shoot at Guardiola and Fergie because they were the best and there was that under money. And certainly Arteta, even in his own mind, hopefully doesn't put himself on that sort of pedestal. Um, yeah, he is he's a little bit abrasive. Um, you know, he's a little bit sometimes when things he's not a very not particularly good loser. Um, which, you know, perhaps you don't need to be, but but some people are better at it than others. Klopp has good days and bad days. Um, Pep, to be fair, is an excellent loser. It doesn't happen very often. You wouldn't have thought he'd have to practice, but but he can be very magnanimous in defeat. Um, but no, Arteta isn't quite, quite so. You can't let go of the fact that, you know, he, his team have lost, and, and he's, um, he does, he's, he's very difficult in that he, he refuses to blame his players when they haven't had good games. Uh, and I think that rankles with people. And then, like you say, his on-the-pitch histrionics really get up the noses of other managers. Uh, he's sort of kind of... And, and he, yeah, he's so... And every point has to be won and battled for and every throw it has to be contested. Uh, and I think people just get a little bit tired of that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he has many. I'd be interested to know who his friends are in football, um, yeah, amongst the, the managers, um, because I think he's very much his own man uh, and keeps himself to himself, he seems to, uh, apart from when he's bouncing up and down the touchline. He does seem quite character on the touchline. Um, the, the other team, team we touched on that have been really the big wings over the festive period is Liverpool. Now, we must, must give credit to our colleague Andy Dunn, who tipped them from the title for before the start of the season, as he, as he keeps reminding us. I mean, I remember that, that opening weekend where they drew at Chelsea and thinking, you know, I'm not, not sure, and I don't know whether sort of Colin Liverpool themselves thought, you know, it would be a title challenge this season. I thought maybe, you know, a year of transition and then into it next year. But have they got the squad, Matt, do you think? Have they got the 
the players and in de- you know in depth to really take it on and and pick Manchester City to the top. I think in truth, no. Not if it was the Manchester City that we've had the last five or six seasons. But it isn't that Manchester City, and that's what's key to this title race, is that it's not going to take 100 points to win it this this year. People are dropping points. you know. Um, and, and I think Liverpool are good enough to amass the sort of points that they need to, to beat a Manchester City who are just slightly off par, possibly because of what they did last year and a little bit after the, the Lord Mayor's show. Um they are surprised. They've done very well in, in knitting together so quickly. Um, certainly when you allude to Chelsea, another team in transition, they've struggled a lot more with with the changes than, than I think anyone imagined. Um, but, but Liverpool seems to have got it right again and found a sort of formula. Salah's been key to that. Obviously, he's now finally flown off to to um, Egypt, uh, having scored just the old two goals to remember him by, which uh, I think Liverpool fans will will perhaps miss and uh, be praying that Egypt come home as soon as possible in the nicest way. But um, but yeah, so he will be he's has been key, and and it will be key to see how they cope without him for those games um, when it when because I think now it's going to really hot up. With a winter break, it's a chance to refresh the the energy, and everyone will hit the floor running when in sort of two and a bit weeks' time when they start uh, really cracking on with the rest of the season. Yeah, it's interesting for Liverpool, isn't it? Because basically they don't get much of a winter break, do they? Because they've basically got the two um, semi-finals um, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, you know, it, worst case scenario, if they drew against Arsenal, get a replay against Arsenal in the FA Cup. Um, all of a sudden, that kind of, you know, they might get one weekend off, and that would be about it, basically, for Liverpool, because those those fixtures are, are mounting up. I mean, I guess you know, the, the the realists would would say that that's the sign of a very good season. They're doing very nicely, thank you. But I don't know. Does that give does the winter break and really utilising it and getting that rest can that be really significant in this title race? And I'm thinking maybe Man City with their depth of squad might just give them an edge, for example, as well. It gives a chance to regroup. And if you're not if you're doing well, you don't want the season to stop for a second. You want to keep going, keep winning games. If you uh, aren't quite where you should be, like City, then it's a chance for Pep to get them together and start saying, look, what's going wrong? Analyze, take his foot. I mean, it's otherwise they, you know, it's uh, warm down, uh, you know, stretch, get ready for the next game, go again. Uh, and he, he's got to have time to, to perhaps redirect them slightly and he will get that. So, um, so yeah, they, they should benefit. Um, it's, it's also a good marker in the season, which is perhaps why we're doing this sort of half-term thing that you can say, you know, this is where they are, this is where we need to be, and it can refocus minds. So so I think it's helpful for those that, that need to use it. Um, but like you say, Liverpool, they'll say, oh, it's great to be in the competitions until they lose. And then when they run out of steam in April, no doubt Klopp will point back to this winter break and say it's the worst thing that, that could have happened to them. But uh, managers tend to use these things to their convenience wherever possible. I'm going to stick my neck out here and be really bold and, and, and suggest that Manchester City will will you know hit form second half of the season they've kind of been away haven't they there's one there their club world cup trophy add it to the list of their achievements of last year ready now for the 2024 turbo boost i'd still think they've got the best manager i think they've got the best players right now 
Um, they're notorious for hitting form February, March onwards and going on a succession of, of wins. I, I, I just think they'll end up winning the title again. And then basically it's up to teams to kind of, you know, carry on trying to close that gap. I don't think they'll win it by as many points. There's no chance of that, to be honest. Too many points have been dropped already. But I do feel as if City are in pole position. I still think they'll come good. Can you give me any reason, any argument against that, Matt, do you think? No, unfortunately, it's just the frightening evidence of last season when it turned out when Arsenal were getting excited, City were only, you talk about them being pole position, they were barely out of third gear last season and the speed with which they just flew past Arsenal in the running was just frightening and they just can put these 14-15 game runs together. Um uh, and yeah, no, there's there's no ever nothing at all I can say, unfortunately, to to derail you from that that thought that the City are the one team that could get going. The only other thing is whether it's about hunger again, and Pep's kind of addressed that, but he's not really fixed it. Um, uh, and after what they did last season, there's not that. There is another title to fight for. Gosh, you know, just another title. But 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 to Manchester City players. That isn't the be-all and end-all. Um, and it depends on, you know, the Champions League remains, uh, I think, their priority. And uh, we'll see how that gets in the way when that kicks into gear again. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another interesting story this week, Matt, is the um, is the, the lots of talk about FFP, isn't it? Uh, sort of story, I think, first emerging in the primes, you know, suggesting that Nottingham Forest um, could be the team that to, to be nervous really about meeting the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules, um, and whether they've kind of overspent. They've certainly bought a lot of players. Let's see whether they've overspent. Um, and Everton again facing a bit of a nervous and anxious wait. The figures have to go in, the accounts, as I understand, have to go in before the end of the year. And then basically sort of kind of we'll find out in a couple of weeks whether someone's got a problem. But the suggestion is that the two teams that are sort of close to the limit of Forest and Everton. Listen, I actually think that, that you know, there was so much um, fuss around Everton and basically the severity of the punishment. Everton obviously admitted they broke the rules, but basically their argument was that they sort of played along with it, incorporated, so they felt hard done by on that. Forrest last season, I think a lot of people thought that was one of the best feel-good stories of the, of the Premier League campaign, wasn't it? They survived, great old club, city ground, great place to go to, rocking atmosphere, really good. But I guess the story is only good, you know, as long as they complied with the rules, don't they, really? But where do you stand on that? Do, do, do you think that the, you know, I mean, it's definitely going to curtail the the transfer market, isn't it? I think a lot of clubs are looking at loans. The Forest and Everton mix, surely we need those rules in place, don't we, to, to ensure uh, everyone is well run. It's a fair 
you know, fair fight basically from day one. And it should also reward the clubs that do uh, run well and responsibly. I'm sure Forrest will, you know, be, be of the view that they haven't broken the rules. They'd be sh- pretty short-sighted to do so. But but where do you, where do you stand on it? Where, where, do, where do you think that was the punishment on Everton too harsh? You know, should Forrest fear the worst? Where do you think? Right. First of all, I think the, the football authorities need to be applauded the fact we're talking about the 2022-23 season that we're going to be judging. So this isn't historic stuff that's taken years and years to come to the table. Finally, football seems to be catching up with this problem and dealing as quickly as is viable with these sorts of problems. So so this is the current Nottingham Forest team. It's not like Everton who are being hit for things that have gone in the past. Chelsea have been threatened with things that went on, uh, on under Abramovich. We're talking about as close as possible with financial accounting. This is the here and now. So... Well done to the football authorities, finally, for catching up on that. Um, The other thing is, with the Everton precedent, um, we're now taking sporting sanctions against these things. That seems to be the way forward, and I think that has to continue because it tends to be the clubs that can afford to overspend or feel they can afford to overspend who break these rules. So fines aren't going to work. QPR... Uh, won a promotion uh, they went absolutely gung-ho in the championship um, uh, and ended up you know with with a bill for oh well this is your fine you know we'll, we'll take out your parachute payments but etc um, yeah so that was just a financial mess that was just playing completely freely with the rules these are the same rules people say oh well it shouldn't be decided off the field well actually it's the same rules um, yeah, all the rules are written off the field. You know, some people sit in a room and decide what offside is, what what you know, how many players you have on the pitch, all the rest of it. So they are part of the rules of the game. I think otherwise, that's what a sport is. It's designed to give a fair contest, and that's what these rules do. I'd say if it curtails the transfer market and we don't have two hundred million pound transfers, I don't see a problem with that. I think it's grotesque that those sort of things continues especially post-COVID, when we were told it was all going to get a grip of itself. Do you remember those heartfelt meetings with the chairman? No, no, we will help the rest of the game. And, and they've moved away step by step by step again, as we predicted they would. And, yeah, if, if it's football getting a grip of itself, it needs to because we've got this um, uh, legislation going through Parliament at the moment that, uh, you know, that with the governance of the game is being scrutinised at the moment. So... The Premier League need to get this right. And although it is a grand story that what Forest have done, they're a famous club, you know, what they did in the 70s, um, you know, remains one of the, the remarkable stories of global football. And they have a reputation built on that. But if they've cheated, they need to be punished. And it, is, it might be a sad impact and a sad end to the story, but that's got to be done now and the Premier League have got to get a grip of this and this is their opportunity year on year to really hammer home and I think it'll only be a couple of years before clubs start realising no you can't start bending the rules you're not getting away with it anymore and if there are victims who've been the bit, you know been chances along the way then it's time to punish them Do you think we have, we should have a standard tariff if you break the rules or, or is it not that black and white simply because Everton when that story broke. It wasn't so much about Everton breaking the rules. Everton held their hands up. It was about the severity of the punishment. Everton really felt this sense of injustice 
I mean, blimey, it, it became such a thing. <laughs> Anyone would think the Premier League broke the rules. It was Everton that broke the rules. Uh, uh, but basically, the anger was at the 10-point sanction. And they're basically they're obviously still appealing that. We'll wait to hear the outcome of that. I think even other clubs were, were sympathetic to that. So let's see how that works. But should we have, you know, the, basically a set sanction? You know, clubs turn that, you know, clubs were offered that opportunity by the Premier League. Um, some time ago, but basically decided not to. So should we have a sanction whereby if you go a pound over, you get the same sanction if you, uh, as if you go a hundred million pounds over? You, you, is that a fairer way of doing it? So everyone knows what they're in for. You know, the, the, the Premier League process, wasn't it, that basically consulted both you know, but all parties basically, the, the independent panel asked the Premier League, what would be your sanction, Everton, what would be your sanction? That's what they went for. That was in the in the statute. You know, that that was how they decided to go for it. Um, much to Andy Burnham's, you know, disgust. But basically that was because the clubs didn't want a set sanction. But is a set sanction something that will really, you know, put put clubs off from trying to chance their arm? Because I feel as if up until the Everton case, clubs probably did think, do you know what, we'll go for it. We can spend a bit over and and if if, if it comes to it, then we'll just have to make it up with a, with a fine. I think that's been the attitude. I think it might still be the attitude, you know, and so therefore do we need a set sanction, Matt? I think you can fudge it between the two and keep everyone happy. I think you don't need necessarily a set sanction because some of these things are quite nuanced and there are different reasons for going over etc etc and that's what the clubs I think want on a bit of latitude in that so that it's not just hard and fast because there are particular reasons why something might have happened and they want the, the, the latitude to to appeal on those grounds but at the same time I think Premier League need to make it clear and the you know the, the panels that decide on these things that from now forward the you know it's been set it's been decreed that sporting sanctions are the standard and that's what clubs will then fear. And it opens up a whole gateway uh, of problems for them if they do go over the mark. And that's what they've felt that that gate has been so firmly closed. And it has been to a fault, to be fair. Uh, going back to Tevez and everything that went on there, that's when sporting sanctions should have been called into play. Um, you know, it was all time wrong. You know, things like that. They've had opportunities to, to really clamp down in the past and miss them. Well, now they're taking them, and I think if as long as clubs know that, and you know, there's some strong advice that going out to clubs that sporting sanctions are the way forward, then that's going to put enough um, fear up the the clubs to, to stop them trying to bend these rules. Right, Wayne Rooney at Birmingham City. Our colleague Neil Moxley wrote a great story on uh, about this, about him being sacked um, uh, online. On um, when was it? I've lost track of the days over this Christmas and New Year. I really have. Tuesday morning, it was. <laughs> 40, 48 hours, but yeah, Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. Um, yeah, I've lost track. And um, uh, it, I mean, it, it, it was just. 
for whatever reason, it didn't work. Rooney was the wrong choice, you know, from the off, wasn't it? I mean, you surely on a hiding to nothing when you bring in a manager, when you're in the lofty heights of fifth, which is lofty heights for Birmingham City on recent evidence, isn't it really? Rooney was a gamble, brought in for no fear football, you know, didn't didn't work really, didn't hasn't played out at all well. Um, who up next? Who's a good choice for next? And what, what next for Wayne Rooney? Because I still think that uh, basically Wayne Rooney's still got, you know, a manager's job in him. I still think he's got the desire and determination to be a coach. I, don't, I think he's, you know, he's, he's, he's once been so successful as a player, he could easily retire, walk away, and you'd never see him again. But basically, he clearly wants that and has got that hankering to be a manager, to be a coach. And I really admire that in him, basically. He's also kind of tried to work his way up, hasn't he? You know, with the jobs that he's that he's taken so far. Um, and I admire that. And then when, you know, we always say they should work their way up. And then when they do, and it does, you know, the, the, the inevitable happens that they have a setback, then we sort of say, oh, well, they're finished. So you can't have have it both ways, can you really? Um, you, you, do you still think that Wayne Rooney can, can come back after the Birmingham disaster? I think someone will give him a chance, but the trouble is he attracts the wrong sort of chairman. He attracts someone who wants to say, my manager's Wayne Rooney, rather than my manager's this young coach who just needs a chance. And that that's the real problem is, yeah, when you see, um, I remember going to Alfreton to see Gazza take charge for a game with a, a chairman there who wants to make a name for himself. Um it's the wrong sort of manager makes that sort of appointment. The right sort of manager appoints, um, you know, a quieter, less known figure, you know, who stuns everyone by being good, looking at people like Brighton that, you know, look a little bit more left field for their appointments and don't go for the big names. And they haven't done too badly on the back of it. Bournemouth as well, you know, another insightful appointment. Um, but the big name managers, it is so hard because they are judged on different levels to everybody else, the, the top players. It has to be set because every, just because they're them, it doesn't matter how low they start, they're under the microscope because of their name. And every mistake is played out in public uh, and it doesn't go well. What I would say, for all that Wayne Rooney's determination to be a top coach, unfortunately, it does take a lot more than that. You need a flair and ability and understanding of the, the fine details that go into being a successful manager, coach, whatever. And I don't know if Rooney still hasn't discovered those or had time to discover them. And that's that's part of the problem. You learn from every, every mistake. You build up a knowledge, an arsenal of, of little tricks to play on players. And if you haven't had time to do that, then they'll catch you out. And, and, and players know that if it goes badly, it's the manager who's going to be gone first. And it's a tough environment to, to thrive in. Uh, and very few do succeed. So where one of the top footballers in the world should be one of those, it, it's not at all obvious. And, you know, th th there's no direct link. You know, some of our best managers have hardly kicked a ball um, in anger. Uh, and, you know, others do make the transition, but it's more to do with the personalities than it is to do with just how many goals they scored. I look upon, you know, sort of the golden generation, the kind of, you know, one one fails and basically all of a sudden the golden generation are kind of cast off. Obviously, you know, Stephen Gerrard has had mixed time, but he did do exceptionally well at Rangers. Um, Frank Lampard, I always think, you know, blimey, people, 
you forget about the, the really good things that he did do at Derby, Chelsea and Everton. You know, the, the, there's good elements in, in everything that he did there, you know, with, with obvious mixed results along the way. But hang on a minute, you know, I think that basically it would be wrong to dismiss him as any kind of failure. I think, you know, I think he'll be harshly judged on that bizarre limbo period as caretaker boss at Stamford Bridge. I wonder whether he regrets that. But, you know, Chelsea's in his blood and the kind of temptation was probably too much. Sol Campbell, even, you know, basically, Sol Campbell has had to go in at the, the, uh, the bottom end and, and there's a different discussion on that, you know, why, a, you know, sort of a player of that, should a player of that class and quality and sort of memories, you know, go in at that, le- le- that level. But equally, you have to admire him for for doing so and basically particularly at Macclesfield he did all right you know and basically obviously didn't didn't end you know as he he wanted it and you know and didn't sort of follow up either either sort of kind of in his next challenge but I admire these guys for really kind of you know putting their reputations and 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 memories on the line if you like um to try and sort of carve the, the right way I think it's I think it's to be applauded Listen, many of these guys actually had FA Cup success, so let's have a look at the FA Cup, shall we? Matt, it's not – how can I put this? It's not a classic third-round draw. Now, in speaking to people, there's all sorts of reasons around this. I'm sure you'll be aware, but basically, I mean, people will be asking, why does the FA Cup kick off on a Thursday? What about the, the TV picks? And basically, where's our giant killings gone? Basically, there's a distinct lack of what I would call giant killing opportunities, which is kind of League One, League Two at home to Premier League. Um, there's a bizarre thing where all the London clubs were drawn at home. So basically, they have to spread them out. And basically, as you know, um, sort of kind of for stewarding and policing and security issues, that's that that's then caused its own own issues. There's so many all Premier ties. I think it's unprecedented. Does it does it should it make us think about having a bit of a chat and a bit of a debate about the future of the FA Cup and where where we stand? Is there a better way of doing it? Should we seed it? Should we put the bigger the smaller teams at home at home to get the upset? Are we trying to spoil the history of the competition should we just leave it alone you know because i think people forget that this potentially is that is the last year of third and fourth round replays you know the smaller teams already had the paydays taken away for the latter rounds what, what, what where do you think matt are we are we doing something wrong with the cup will, will this will will you know all this look silly next monday when when basically we've had a thrilling third round FA Cup, or do we need to talk about the FA Cup? Um, no, I think the FA Cup, it does need to be spoken about because it is a rich competition that was invented, you know, as its beginnings in the 1800s, um, you know, 1872. You know, that's when it was designed as a competition. You know, the, the, then it was a challenge cup that, you know, the winners would play in the final. So, um, you know, it has it has migrated slightly, but for for the best part of a hundred and odd years, it's been the same competition. Um, and uh, you know, the the best clubs have are seeded because they come in at the third round. Um, you know, there there is that seeding already because the the beauty of the FA Cup 
is that any team in the country can win it. And that's that's a magical kind of Hollywood kind of feel to it. The, the you know, it's never going to, you know, I think Spurs were the last amateur club to win in 1901, uh, if memory serves. But, uh, but there is that magic that any team could win it. And the, uh, we've had some come quite close in recent years and make it to semi-finals and things and, uh, and finals even. But, you know, I think the artist, and the fact is, is it's a clean competition between good and bad, between top and bottom, big, big and small. Um, I think artificially uh, making the the small small club have the home tie. I, I don't think that feels right. Um, similarly, trying to seed it even more. The point is, if you're in that third round draw, then you've got a chance of getting one of the big clubs. It hasn't happened this this time round. Chances are with the Premier League or Premier. Got you know, clashes. There might be some fourth round upsets. I was thinking of some uh, earlier about games like Scunthorpe when Robinho went to Scunthorpe, but that was a fourth round game. So um, you know it, it was uh, that. That's still scope for that, and it could be the greatest fourth round ever as a result of, of this draw. So I don't think it's that bad. What I would say about the replays is I I'm going to be an absolute. Um, uh, I'm going to go against tradition and say, I don't think that's a bad thing getting rid of the replays. We play too much football. People have got used to and love penalty shootouts. The concept of going to matches where you know you're going to get a result is quite a popular one. I don't think I don't think we should go All-American and ban the draw altogether. And I think he has his place sort of in league football. But in knockout competitions, let's have a result on the day. You've bought, paid a lot of money for a ticket to see who's going to go through to the next round. And, you know, I, I think replays, if they are to go, I don't think that's there, there should be too many people pushing against that because there, there is too squashed a calendar anyway. Um, and uh, and it just add an extra sparkle because you know that that cup upset is actually probably more likely because the number of you know Premier League games that teams that go to League One grounds just and, and come back happy with a draw and a replay and then not quietly knock them out on a Wednesday night when no one's really watching, you know that, that kind of spoils the magic a little bit, potential magic. So let, let's let's look at replays, but the rest of it is still a great competition. I know you think that deep down for your. Um, worries about this this weekend, but uh, there's still some ties in there. There's you know Arsenal Liverpool's a great clash. You get the big teams fighting big cup battles, and then you've got potential upsets. You know further down, you got the mighty made mighty Stones, Mason United, my local team, uh, going up against Stevenage to repeat their success of a few years ago in the second round. Um, so there are still a few smaller clubs knocking around, and hopefully they'll progress and get their Premiership League matches in the next round. Do, do you see any any potential giant killers apart from you know, sort of that one? West Ham, I fear for. Well, Bristol City, are they? Um, that's one that, just weirdly, because they're playing so well at the moment, it's almost like you'd think that they'll walk through it. But um, but that, that's one that I think, that, that might cool, catch a few people out. Um, but no, that's the beauty of it. You don't know where they're going to come. You know, we all get sent to various games around the country where we think there's going to be an upset, and they happen somewhere else. That's, you know, the Ronnie Radford magic of it all, isn't it? That, you know, a young John Watson as a commentator was covering the game because they didn't think there'd be an upset, you know, and, and he built his career on it. So, uh, so yeah, we don't know where they're going to come, uh, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Favourite FA Cup third-round memory? 
I was thinking about this. There was that Skullthor one seeing Rubinho because it's all so tight in the in Gladford part that literally Rubinho walked past when he was trying to re-establish himself at City after injury. Um, and he uh, such a dirty look on his face as he arrived at and saw what Gladford Park was like. But uh, like I say, it was a fourth round. I remember sitting uh, at the um, Stadium of Chips, the McCain Stadium in Scarborough, now sadly a little, um, in the front row, the overflow for the press box was in front of the advertising hoardings. So we were all sat on fold-up chairs, literally pitch side, watching uh, John Terry score the winner uh, with Roman Abramovich's uh, Chelsea soon after he'd arrived in the country in 2004 um, with uh, it being under Ranieri then. Um, that was good, but I've not really had any upsets. So my kind of, my warmth for the, for the third round comes back to boyhood memories of trying to listen to the draw. And this is a, this is a bugbear that I want changed. I don't want the, the, the FA Cup draws to be in the one show and uh, after the last game and ha- even at half time during the last game. I want to be making FA. I remember sneak, we need to all sneak radios into school or phones into school for 12.45 on a Monday morning when, uh, you know, Ted Croker and uh, and uh, Graham Kelly or whoever would be just three men reading out numbers and names for what your your team's fate would hold. Uh, and it was the effort to try and hide from the teacher that you were listening and also be designated communicator to the rest of the class to tell everyone else who their teams had got. And I, I think it made more of an event of a draw than anything they try and do you know, uh, with, with these modern draws. And I'd rather just keep it simple. The rattle of the balls, the, the voices of the number, what the plummy voices, it's all that. That's part of the FA Cup for me. And uh, you'll never replace that by doing it with, uh, you know, Matt Smith on the uh, on the one show. No, I totally agree with you. I do remember basically taking a radio into school so often. And basically, it used to be on Radio 2, you know, back in the day didn't it? Which was a radio almost became Radio 5, you know, big BBC and radio listener, really. And, uh, you know, was always then, uh, it was such a cliche, but we really did literally <laughs> behind the bike sheds to listen to the radio, which we weren't supposed to do in break time because it always fell in break time. And then we were just, you know, hoping for, 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 the, for the team to come out and, and what have you. And so many memories like that. I mean, it's amazing. I always remember one, one silly, stupid memory. I mean, I remember sort of kind of, you know, these uh, away ties and sort of kind of um, upsets at York and sort of a narrow escape at Hereford and all sorts of things, you know, sort of back in the day, sort of great upsets. I mean, you know, you look back upon the upsets that teams have had, sort of down the years. Didn't Spurs once lose to Port Vale? Am I going mad? But basically all sorts of, you know, big upsets, but um, uh, sort of down the years and uh, great memories. But I'll always remember, uh, and it sort of completely defines him for me, was that I think Arsenal drew Spurs in the FA Cup third round many years ago. And I think Garth Crook scored the winner at Highbury. And I remember being out for lunch um, with my mum and dad and sister a few years, well, a few weeks later, I should say, and basically, you know, asking Garth Crooks for an autograph. He was ever such a nice guy. I saw him there in the restaurant. And, uh, it, yeah, you must have seen um, uh, something Arsenal that I was wearing or something, or you know, and basically, 
he was such a nice guy to talk to, so friendly and so nice. And basically, he signed the autograph, Dear John, sorry about the Arsenal Garth Crooks. And he was just like a lovely guy to speak to. And you just remember these sort of kind of, you know, everyone that's what kind of knocks Garth Crooks. I'm ready to go into battle for Garth Crooks because I just thought, what a smashing fella. You know, and I remember those. And it defines those people, doesn't it? It's silly childhood memories that we harbour and, and, and cherish really and that, that all comes from the FA Cup so so there you go so hoping for a nice romantic FA Cup round there and, uh, third round weekend this weekend I'm sure it'll deliver Matt I'm sure it'll deliver but, um, but there you go anyway thanks so much for joining nice to see everyone and see you again same time same place next week 